Good morning, good morning, good morning, Grace City Church. Good morning. So glad to be here with all of you. If you're out there, put your hands together. I need you. I can't see your faces, but I can hear their hand claps. I can't see your smiles, but I can hear your amens. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for this beautiful, beautiful morning. Lord, we thank you for the gift you've given us where we have had the blessing of getting out of bed. Your mercies are new every morning. We thank you, Lord, for this time where we can come together and celebrate you. Press upon our hearts, Lord, your majesty, your mercy, your unfailing love, your patience, your kindness, your grace. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that you would fill us, lead us, guide us, that we might walk worthy of the blessings that you give us every single day. Thank you, Jesus. And it is in Jesus' name all God's people said, amen, amen. Please be seated. Please be seated. Well, greetings. It is an honor and a blessing every time I have received this invite to celebrate and rejoice and worship with all of you, Grace City family, and you who are here online, I'm so glad that you are with us. What a blessed morning it is. My name is Luke Casagrande. I'm a pastor of a church plant that we are planting out in Owings Mills. Um, we are in the pre-launch stages, and we are building a launch team and a body and we have a great hope and love for our beloved city of Baltimore. We love what God is doing in and through uh, these organizations and different church leaders, such as Pastor Corey and Pastor Bob. They are amazing, amazing witness and example of what it means to contend for a city and a people. Yeah, give it up for your pastors. Such faithful and devo devoted pastors, men of God. From a church planning standpoint in this past pandemic season, the title of this series is fitting. Might from the margins. Because as a church planter, we can feel like the little guy. <laughs> like the new kid on the block. We don't know what we're doing. Add the implications of a pandemic and you can feel when you've got this big dream, big vision, big heart, you can feel like you have been left in the margins. It's fitting as God is bringing something together from a small, humble, church-planting team and fellowship, and his plans for us is to move us into a continual posture of rejoicing because the micro blessings that he is giving all of us in this pandemic season as we are patient and we are listening and we are careful and discerning and we're keeping our eyes attuned to the spirit and we're saying, wow, God, you are moving even now. In a, in a pandemic season that only happens once every century, God's church holds together. 
let me not get too loud. It's too early for all this right now. I'm a, I don't want to come out the gate like a Ferrari waiting at a red light. I need to shepherd maybe a little more carefully. I do want to thank Sarah Batley for her excellent message last week to see and be seen. Highlighting the interactions that Jesus had with the woman anointing his feet, the woman at the well, Hagar, the servant of Abraham and Sarah, who had seen the seer. Highlighting commonality, uh, I want to highlight the commonality between these three women and the heart of this message in particular. They each had an experience of intense rejection in their lives. And in their encounter with the living God, whether it be through the flesh and blood presence of Jesus or the angel of the Lord that visited Hagar, one thing is for sure, they would be moved from a spiritual state of rejection to one of great rejoicing, which is the title of this message this morning, from rejected to rejoicing. It's a common theme throughout the biblical narrative, the whole of scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. It's a common theme. I can't begin to count the amount of times we read when God's chosen, God's anointed, God's called, God's uh, people find themselves in a deep-seated state of rejection, imprisonment, displacement, disinheritance, as Pastor Corey preached in this series, deported, enslaved, nomadic, wandering, wandering in the wilderness. It's a common theme throughout the scriptures. And in these seasons of God pe God's people finding themselves in these difficult places, time and time again, this recurring theme, time and time again, there is a voice, a declarative voice, a prophetic voice, a voice from the margin that speaks to the people that speaks to the culture, that speaks to the current events, whether it be on a micro level concerning one or two people or a macro level concerning an entire nation. The prophetic voice declares the word of the Lord to the people. And in the historical accounts that we find in the Bible, whether it's from the major or the minor prophets, the voice is proclaimed from a chosen vessel that is physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually entrenched and involved, involved engaged with a chosen people who are in desperate need of God's rescue and restoration. Whether the people respond to the message or not, that's another story. But they are a declarative voice. The prophet contends for the people, raising their voice from the bottom rung, reverberating to the upper echelons of society in power, imploring the people to turn their hearts unto the Lord. The prophets lift up their voices as advocates from the margins. They lift up their voice as a comfort for the afflicted while oftentimes afflicting the comfortable. The prophet Isaiah describes his gift in this way in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. 
the Lord has given me the tongue of disciples, which means an instructed one, so that I may know how to sustain a weary one with a word. The Lord has given me, he has gifted me, he has provided me, he has anointed me with the tongue, the speech, the word of an instructed one, a follower of Jesus. So that, what's the purpose? I may know how to sustain, uplift, encourage the weary one with a word. Isaiah saw his purpose in having the tongue of one who's instructed by God's word. And the purpose was to sustain and uplift the weary, the afflicted, the hopeless, the rejected with a word. And I don't know if you know this, but in Isaiah's day, they didn't have smartphones. They didn't have texts. They didn't have emails. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Zoom or Instagram. And not having technology as we have it, if the purpose of having a divinely instructed speech was to uplift or give sustenance to the weary one, then that means that the one who had the word on his lips was to come close to the weary one. You can't be hundreds of miles away in Isaiah's time and encourage and uplift and sustain the weary one. He had to come close. He had to be involved in close proximity, life on life, relationally attuned to the weary one, the rejected one. Eye level, heart level, ground level, spiritual level, listening with the awakened ear of a disciple morning by morning, it goes on to say in Isaiah 50 verse 4. A willingness to listen. And you have to come close to listen. Then, imparting the compassionate, grace-filled, truth-revealing word of God by way of the Holy Spirit for the purpose that the rejected one is transformed into a rejoicing one, i.e., woman at the well, woman who couldn't stop bleeding, garrison demoniac, blind beggar, a paralytic lowered through a roof, a leper named Naaman, a servant girl named Hagar. The point is that the church, who is the body of Christ, made up of individuals and individual members with a shared collective heart, is to come close. Lean in, press in, bear with one another's burdens, speak life, receive the rejected, and rejoice in the gospel. I want you to think about this point when it comes to the prophetic word, the spoken word of God, and then also the written word of God as you are in your studies, your Bible readings. That the prophetic word speaks to the hope of repentance redemption and restoration of God's people. 
It speaks to repentance, redemption, and restoration of God's people. It calls the high and haughty, self-righteous and proud to take hold of the word, make themselves low, and be humble with compassion and concern for the least of these as Jesus would. It calls to the oppressed and poor, dispirited and weary to rise up, take hold of the word, and lift their heads with the dignity of Christ and walk worthy. It reminds me of the prophetic voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground will become smooth. The rugged land will become a plain. The prophetic word speaks to that which needs to be made low and that which needs to be raised up. So we as a church must avail ourselves to the conviction of the spirit that says, it starts with me. It starts with us. That places of pride in my life need to be made low so that Christ may be lifted up. And what valleys in my heart need to be filled in by the spirit of the Lord and healed? By his grace, any valleys of hurt or disappointment, valleys of bitterness and unforgiveness, valleys of guilt or shame, valleys of hopelessness and helplessness. And in that, returning to the first point that the prophetic word speaks to the hope of repentance, redemption, and restoration of God's people, we can see that being made possible as valleys are filled in and raised up and as mountains are laid low and as the rugged ground becomes a smooth surface. Because the word of God tenderly calls his children to repent and turn from prideful and empty desires of their heart and fix their desires on Jesus. The word of God promises that those who fix their heart on Jesus and follow him as Lord will be redeemed by the shedding of his blood, covering all of our sins. And the word of God also promises that those who are redeemed will also be restored by his grace and by his spirit. A hope of repentance, redemption, and restoration of God's people. And when the weary one who is rejected in his own sin is received into the kingdom of God by God's grace through faith, all of heaven rejoices. And that is good news. So the prophetic word speaks to the hope of repentance, redemption, and restoration of God's people. But number two is the prophetic word also speaks at the risk of reputation, rejection, and retribution. This is especially true when God, when the word of God that is spoken is an affront to the status quo. Rejection, the risk of reputation, retribution. When the word of God is spoken and it's an affront to the status quo or the comfortable or those in power and authority, 
This is especially true when confronting injustice or systemic issues that perpetuate oppression. Remember the old adage that was mentioned before, it comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. God's word is offensive to those who have a drive for fame, money, power, and control. God's word is offensive to the proud and prejudicial and prejudgmental. Therefore, when the discerned word of God speaks from the tongue of his disciple, the one who spoke it speaks at the risk of reputation, rejection, and retribution. There might be some payback. There might be some consequence. There might be some retaliation. There may be some rejection. Can be how Jeremiah described it in Jeremiah 20, verses 8 through 9. For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction because for me, the word of the Lord has resulted in taunting and derision, which is mockery, all day long. But if I say I will not remember him or speak anymore in his name, then in my bones, it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am tired of holding it in. I cannot endure it. Because of Jeremiah's holy discontent in seeing God's people being torn apart, torn apart by other kingdoms, occupancy such as Assyria, and the deportation of citizens to Jerusalem and Judea to Babylon, he could not bear to stay silent while injustice ran rampant. He had to speak to what was good. He was anxious holding it in like a brand new bottle of Sprite being shook and still having the cap twisted on tightly, contents under pressure, expanding in the body, a deep-seated uncomfortability deep in the gut. The word made him writhe, holding it in would make him grimace, holding his stomach like dealing with hunger pangs. It made him antsy, he was uncomfortable. The injustices and apostasy made him squirm in his seat. The New Testament word for this level of uncomfortability and compassion and holy discontent is a funny word. It's splunknizamai. It means deep in the bowels, deep in the gut, a pain that you can't quite describe. When you see someone in great discomfort, when you see someone who is being persecuted, when you see someone who is in lack, when you see the person who has been victimized, there is a deep-seated pain, a deep-seated uncomfortability that describes compassion. It takes you to a place where you begin to suffer with. The same word that Jesus used or just was described by when he saw his sheep without a shepherd, a deep down heartache. Contractions that come with being pregnant with the word of God and the spirit of Jesus and his compassion. I can't stay silent. I gotta let it out, it's uncomfortable. It makes me grip 
the table, white knuckles. It makes me ball my fists. It makes me cringe and tighten up. I can't hold it in. I've got to speak. I've got to declare it. Full of tears, the weeping prophet with deep compassion and heartache. This violence and destruction, this injustice, this apostasy, the trust we place in ourselves and kings and princes, it's out of line with God's heart. It's got to stop. Won't you take a look? Turn unto Christ as he says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Let the rejected rejoice. But notice each time Jeremiah spoke, those who were now uncomfortable with his message came after his reputation. If we can remember that the word of God speaks at the risk of reputation, rejection, and retribution consequence. And so those who were uncomfortable with his message came after his reputation by day and night, calling him a fool and saying he was out of his mind. And each time he spoke, those who were being challenged would reject him by unfriending him on Facebook and blocking him on Instagram and deleting him from their contacts. Not that they had that back then in the metaphorical sense. And each time he spoke, he faced the potential of retribution, clap back, whether it was being flogged, locked in stocks, put in prison, or tarred and feathered as he was. Jeremiah was going to continue coming close to the weary ones, confronting the injustices, calling the oppressors to repentance, maintaining a hope that things can and will change. Things can and will change. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Not to harm you, but for a hope and a future. Plans to prosper you. Jeremiah 29, 11. I liken this experience to that of Dr. Martin Luther King and his powerful and prophetic voice that continues to reverberate into this generation. We just may need to go back and listen a little more closely. It reminds me of a movie. I do not recommend you watch it. This was BC, before Christ. This was when I was in the world, but there was a movie called White Men Can't Jump. And it was with Sid and two guys, two main characters. One was named Sidney, the other was Eddie Hoyle. Or was it Eddie Hoyle? Huh? Billy Hoyle. Right, Brady Bunch, right. And they're having a conversation about Jimi Hendrix and his music. And it's a colorful conversation. And Sidney says to Billy, he says, uh, are you hearing Jimmy? And Billy says, yeah, I'm hearing Jimmy. I hear Jimmy. And Sidney says, yeah, but are you listening though? Like you might hear Jimi Hendrix, but are you listening to Jimi Hendrix? And I think in this world, we are really quick to hear, but we're not so quick to listen. There's a big difference between hearing something and listening to it. There is a big difference between hearing the noise and listening for the message, what's beneath the noise. 
And so church, we might do a great job hearing, but we might need to do a better job listening. Are you listening though? Are you listening? In order for things to change, things have got to get uncomfortable. And you may have to face rejection on your way to rejoicing. And there is an anchor who experienced the full magnitude of rejection physically and spiritually, and yet in whom the full magnitude of rejoicing is found. What a paradox. That there is an anchor who experienced the fullness, both spiritually and physically, of rejection, risking reputation and retribution, and at the same time in whom the fullness of rejoicing is found on earth or by heaven. His name is Jesus. So in the face of disrepute, rejection, and retribution, Jesus is our hope for repentance, redemption, and restoration. The ministry and voice of the prophets is a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus. He is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. He's the gospel. He's the king. He's the high priest. Jesus is the prophet and the sacrificial lamb. He is the rejected one, the one that the builder refused, the stone that the builder refused became the chief cornerstone. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is cause for rejoicing. You're leaving me alone up here. You're not hearing me. Leaving me alone up here. Woo! Messed around and lost my place. Mm. And Jesus, who at the risk of his reputation, came eating and drinking with sinners. Tax collectors, prostitutes, lepers, drunkards, gluttons, who sat at wells with Samaritans and while preaching allowed paralytics to be lowered through his demoed roof. And he said, hey, to those rejected ones in the kingdom of heaven, there is a great rejoicing that you can be a part of right now because the one who came to save is here and I am. <laughs> and he willingly faced the retribution of the cross and resurrected so that it would all come to pass. It is finished. A good question for us all is, are we willing to face the risk of disreputation, rejection, and retribution for the sake of sharing the gospel? Being a voice for the voiceless, coming close and near to the brokenhearted, crossing some dividing lines at the risk of our own comfort. Does your heart burn for the lost, the needy, and the hopeless, the tired, the victim, the oppressed? Does it burn? Does it make you uncomfortable? Do you writhe deep in the gut? This isn't right. I have a hope and I can't hold it in. If you follow Jesus, then the spirit of the Lord is in you. 
And he has commanded you to go be a voice, speak his word, share his message, offer his hope, expand his kingdom, no matter the cost, a continual, perpetual fulfillment of the prophetic word spoken of Jesus that is alive and active even until now. That we would sustain a weary one with a word. Remember his words, and the worship team can come up at this time. Remember his words has been so prominent a theme throughout this whole series. What Jesus came to do, who he was, what he embodied, what he indeed finished, the hope that we continue to cling to. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee, where all debts are forgiven, from rejected to rejoicing. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord. For at some point in time, when we were hopeless, you brought hope. Father God, I just pray that all those listening here, whether it be in a living room, in a car driving, or drinking coffee and going for a jog. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone who is experiencing this sense of rejectedness in their heart, anyone who finds themselves in the valley, anyone who is struggling with places of pride, where they've placed themselves on a mantle and has, have disassociated from the broken in their own brokenness. Lord, I pray you come intimately and tangibly and powerfully right now, Lord. I pray that right now, someone and all of us experience you in a way we never have before. We feel your Holy Spirit coming alive and saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That the enemy came to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it to the full. That your name, Jesus, would be lifted up right now in their hearing. And where you are lifted up in our hearing, Lord, you call the deepest place of our heart and soul unto you. And you fill in the gap. You fill in the void. And you say, you are mine. We need you, Lord. And we thank you that we can come from a rejected place to a place of great rejoicing. We celebrate you.
In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, Luke, for that powerful message. And we were listening.